Trek Companion. This is episode 110. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's seventh season episodes, Thine Own Self, Masks, and Eye of the Beholder. Uh, but first, we lost um, Leonard Nimoy last week, and I'm sure all our listeners are well aware of that. At this point, um, we're going to talk about him a little bit at the tail of our show, but up here at the head, we wanted to do uh, 30 seconds of of uh, silence just for a you know a, a brief time to think about him and reflect. And like I said, we'll talk about him in depth at the end. But for right now, we're going to do 30 seconds of silence starting now. Okay, thank you for uh, letting us do that, listener, and um, let's get started with the show. Thine Own Self, Season 7, Episode 16, Production Number 268, Original Air Date, February 14th, 1994, Directed by Winrick Colby, Story by Christopher Hatton, Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Ronnie Claire Edwards as Talur, Michael Rothar as Garvin, Kimberly Cullum as Gia, Michael G. Haggerty as Skoran, Andy Cosin as Barconian Apprentice, and Richard Ortega Miro as Rayner. Data is sent to Barakan, a pre-industrialized planet, on a routine mission to retrieve some radioactive material from a probe that crashed. Unfortunately, something has gone wrong, and Data completely loses his memory and wanders into a village carrying the container full of radioactive metal. He is soon befriended by Garvin and Gia, a father and his young daughter. Garvin unwittingly opens the container in the hopes of finding a clue to Data's identity. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Troy is looking to stretch herself into command. What did Tor say about him? Is he sick? Not exactly. She said he's lost his memory, but seems to be fine otherwise. Tolur thinks he's from a race that lives in the mountains. I am an ice man. I often reference it <laughs> when my <clears throat> notes just have like a, a line that out of context is funny. This episode has one I thought I'd mention. <laughs> um, medieval Jedi data beamed up from internment. <laughs> <laughs> Not something you write every day. <laughs> um, you know, I I like this episode. Two of the three episodes we're going to talk about today are about the same for me as far as I like them, and then one of them I'm going to dislike a great deal. But uh, this episode... I've always kind of liked it. You know, it's it's funny. I've it's it you know, it's not the greatest episode ever, but it's a good solid episode. It, it, it's even one of those that I don't know how much of an answer we're going to have for what it's about, but it's just kind of it's it's an interesting episode. You know, the B story is already interesting because we get so many we get so many great character moments with with Troy. And also, you know, the trekker in me loves some of the you know, how does how does it work? How does it work practically to get 
you know, the ability to command and be a bridge officer and stuff. Um, so the testing and all that, that's kind of interesting. But in the A story, I mean, you think about what the title of the episode is, that own self. It's, it's neat how, you know, so much of Data's, Data's personality is more than his memories because he loses his memories and he's still Data. My favorite scene in the episode, actually, I don't know, I get such a kick out of it, is the sequence when he's, he's showing Talura his empirical data <laughs> about there are particles emanating from this metal. Here's how I'm proving it. Here's, here's how the case is clearly blocking them. And I believe the case was designed to, you know, that's, that's, I love that stuff. I love it. It's, it's cool. Um, and it's, and it's data being data, even when he doesn't remember that he's mm -hmm. data. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that as a concept. I like, I like, uh, you know, it, it makes him so much more human when you realize these other things are what define him and not, you know, not his experiences. Those things are powerful when it comes to defining his character, but there are so many other things about us as people uh, that do define us, and those things are still there. Those traits are still there. So I've always thought this episode was a fun episode. Um, also, it's one of those ones, I think this one and I of the Beholder, whenever I see them, I, it just feels like, I'm near the end of the entire series. Somehow I associate with them actually with being late seventh season, which they obviously are. So many of the other episodes, late seventh season, I don't. But, you know, these these today I do. And that kind of makes them, you know, in a weird way, seem like the most, you know, as modern as next gen could get because it's the most recent or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, it's right. It's the ones that I guess I, I remember the, the clearest watching and stuff. Mm. But uh, anyway, well, you know, what are your guys' first thoughts on thine own self i think i'm in agreement with you brian i actually do like this episode as well um it's funny usually when you have an a and a b story that don't have really anything to do with each other you know we tend to probably not i would think we tend not to like those episodes as much and clearly in this episode they they have nothing to do with each other it seems like they had two pretty good ideas for episodes and they just couldn't fill it up and so they combined these two <laughs> storylines into one but um, yeah, I'm with you. I really enjoyed the um, the Troy stuff. Her um, going through that process. I think I felt it was a little wrapped up a little bit too much, just because it really was the B story of this episode. Um, I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of her struggle there with having to deal with sending somebody to their death. It just seemed like they just kind of wrapped that storyline up really quick. So um, those are my first thoughts about the episode. Yeah, I like it as well. Um, I, I certainly, I certainly remembered the episode. Thought it was uh, very unique, and you know, there's kind of it's, there's a thing when when someone's lost their memory, um, it kind of sometimes provides an uh, unusual insight into the character because they don't have these details, these life details to rely on. It's 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 like the, the personality is the only thing left or something like that. And I think that's mm -hmm. an, that's an interesting idea. Um, but yeah, I like it, like it fine. You know, I, I don't think it's outstanding, you know, or anything or stand out, but I do, I do enjoy it. Uh, the stories in this one, Caesar, you mentioned how the A and the B don't have a lot to do with each other. Um, but it's kind of interesting. This was a, a pitch, like data is Frankenstein kind of pitch for the A line, <laughs> A storyline. And, you know, and then it was, I don't remember who pitched it, but it was given to Ron Moore to actually write. You know, and uh, 
the obvious thing to do with the B story would have been the Enterprise and crew trying to find data. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he specifically didn't want to do that because that that was the obvious thing, and they'd done it a million times. Um, and he talked about this is interesting. Uh, in I think it was Jerry Taylor's novelization of Unification. <laughs> hmm. um, she there was there was a part where she wrote about just a couple of sentences about uh, Troy thinking about her time in disaster, and that you know maybe she you know that she lamented not getting another chance to command like that, and that for some reason stuck with Ron Moore, and that was where he so he always wanted to do something like this, and he talked a lot about wanting to give both both Troy and Crusher some command because they were the females and they were given the quote-unquote soft parts, you know, the doctor and the therapist, uh, mm-hmm. but everybody else got to sit in the captain's chair, basically, you know. Um, and this is Ron Moore from the late 80s, early 90s. So, you know, I, I think that he was kind of ahead of his time in a, in a lot of great ways, and it it pays off. It's it's kind of weird you think about these episodes we're doing we're talking about today. You know, thine own self is pretty much data and Troy. Masks is data and I the beholder is Troy. <laughs> it's kind of funny that, that it worked out that way. Um as we said before, you know, the writers they really especially by the time you get to the seventh season, and especially by the time you get to the end of the seven of the of any season, but the seventh in particular, they're really not this stuff just wasn't planned out in the next gen days. They were just doing too many episodes, twenty six episodes a season. You know, right? They were just they just had to write too many to really kind of plan it out. So when you ended up with a couple of data episodes back to back, it you know it just worked out that way. They weren't trying for that. Um, but there are there are a lot of quirky things in this episode. There's one scene that kind of made me laugh. We, we've talked about this before, but stuff that kind of breaks the concept of of the universal translator. Um, even since, you know, in all our incarnations of Trek, it's it's the norm that we always we're just hearing everybody speaking English, yeah. even when we think probably they're supposedly not. And you have to ignore the concept of, well, if there was some kind of translation going on with the universe translator, wouldn't their mouths not match the movement yeah, or something? Yeah. <laughs> but we you just ignore that. Okay, fine. And most of the time we don't even think about it because that's Star Trek, and we're just we're used to that. That's a conceit that we accept, right? But this episode has a scene with it that goes one step too far, and it breaks it for me. You know, whenever they're speaking what sounds to me like English, and Data says, in reference to the container, it says radioactive, and the other guy says, "You can read that language." And I just <laughs> wanted to—I wanted Data to say, "Aren't we speaking it now?" No. <laughs> 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 so that that kind of breaks it, you know. You're asking too much of the audience to you know, <laughs> double dip past the illusion there, right? And and um, not to mention, of course, the you know, it's there's no real rhyme or reason why he wouldn't understand what that means to him, radioactive, and he would understand so many other scientific concepts that yeah. they kind of touch on, you know. So, right. <clears throat> yeah, but you know. I guess he's supposed to be speaking the other language this whole time. I don't know. Um, but anyway, you know, forgetting that. 
Got to suspend your disbelief on that one. Yeah. Got to stretch it out a little bit. It's just one of those words that they don't have a translation for. So to the ear of that guy had been like, blah, 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 radioactive, blah, blah, blah. No, and it's like, It was hard for me to tell that what kind of ear they were, you know, because I kind of like the scenes with the, you were saying this earlier, Brian, with their medicine woman. I guess that's what. What Talora. Talora. Um, you, you know, are a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she, sounds, she sounds so like intelligent. She's talking about, uh-huh. we are far past the crazy thoughts of our ancestors. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Very clearly, you are a nice man. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like they were a little bit more advanced than the, the explanation she was giving. It just seemed kind of silly, like nobody would have ventured to the mountains at least once. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I'm getting, what was it? What did they call that? The, I guess it was like 200 miles. I'm like, well, that's kind of, that's not too far to venture. Well, they said it was, I think it was 100 miles because it was 200, some other weird thing, which we assume equals 100 miles. Because the crash was, they said the crash was 100 miles from a settlement and data okay, came straight from it. the crash. But yeah, too far for them to go without some kind of a contraption, <laughs> apparently. And also, it's pretty magical that data can make. A soup that nullifies yeah, right, sickness. Right. Yes. Yeah. Just out of some um, drugstore items he got in the local yeah. village. Um, oh. But again, I like Arvin's get up too. He looked kind of like Santa Claus. Well, <laughs> uh, no, come on. Nobody, nothing in this episode tops <laughs> medieval data Jedi. <laughs> True. <laughs> medieval Jedi data. That doesn't sound as good. Medieval data Jedi is probably better. Yeah. Medieval data Jedi. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Indeed. Now, why he when he goes to actually pour the medicine into the well, why he takes off the hood doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> I noticed that too. Just, just to reveal himself, but you know, or why he would immediately stop when he heard a crowd coming and turn around and just why when he just dumped it in. Yeah, but we could pick it apart. We're having fun here. It's a fun yeah, episode. I actually like this episode. I do. You're picking apart another one today, but not this one. I like it. <laughs> yes, I agree that it's not, you know, greatest. It's not a great ever. episode, but I, I would. But it's you know, it's solid, and I enjoy I enjoy watching it. I really do. Like I said, I really like those Troy scenes. I really like a couple of those data scenes, especially the ones where he's got his little lab and everything. You know, some of I I just I love that kind of stuff. You know, we saw Data set up a lab in um, um, Time Zero, uh, the original series. Spock had his lab and sit on the edge forever. You know, when they set up these labs right. on their, in the primitive societies or whatever, I, I love that. I love that stuff. Um, I, don't, gen- I don't know why exactly. And it generally makes me feel like a complete idiot because I can't help but think, <laughs> like, if I was in that world, I'd, I'd be done. There's nothing I can't know what to do. I don't know. I have no practical <laughs> skills. Like, oh, let's see if I can figure this out. Mm, too crafty oh. for me. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the mountains. <laughs> To the ice mountains, apparently. The ice right, mountains, right. yes, where there ice are man. large beasts. You are an ice strong. Man. It's also kind of unusual how uh, late Picard appeared. I think this first appearance was like at the very tail end of the episode, which is also indicative of these why, unusual. Actually. It's funny. I do so much research for every one of our podcasts, but so much of the time, all the behind-the-scenes stuff isn't relevant or right. isn't that interesting. But I know why Picard. I wouldn't have said it, but because you mentioned it, I will say I know why he was only there at the end. Because this was shot in the beginning of December of 93, and he had signed to do a couple weeks of his one-man ah. um, Christmas, um, yeah. right, Christmas Carol, 
but it was in London, not in L.A. Mm-hmm. So he had to get out early. So they had him literally only have one line right at the end. And I assume they shot it first because then he went to London because this was the last episode before Christmas break. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So not really interesting at all, but, you know, um, true. <laughs> <laughs> it, is like very, it. it is noticeable when the captain is barely oh. in the episode and he has like one line. I mean, you can count on one hand the number of Star Trek episodes that have done that. Mm-hmm. That's that is pretty unusual, even if it's not a Picard episode or, you know, um, Cisco episode or whatever. Uh, it's still very unusual for them to have such little screen time and so few lines. Hmm. They were getting to the I mean, end. He was like, "I got to do some." Yeah, by the seventh season, you can't imagine. You know, I mean, I'm sure some of it is contractually. Not only are they obligated, but the actor wants to be there. You know, wants to be in it a fair amount because. You know, you want to feel you want it to, the show to be perceived as though you're the star. You know, you got star billing, etc. But by the seventh end of the seventh season, what's it care? <laughs> really, yeah. we're doing a movie in a couple months. I'm all good. Yeah, you know, he'd probably been like, you know, <laughs> can, can can I do a little bit less in all good things? <laughs> yeah. I got a hair appointment. <laughs> you made that up. How did you know? What's this episode about? Um, I would venture. You know, based on the title, you've got like we like I talked about earlier, like we all talked about earlier, you know, these these things that kind of really define us. Um and I'm not sure if it's much of a of a conclusion as it is an observation on what it means to be human. Um, but you know, even 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 Troy found she had something in her that she didn't know she had. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you what do you guys what are you guys thinking? I can see that. It's kind of like sure. I alluded to earlier that notion of you know if you you're stripped bare of. Your memories and your your personality. I would, I would watch. Tro- stri- oh, sorry. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Settle down there. Got to track there a little bit. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, that that idea. You know, there's there's what are we innately? What are we able to do? What are we going to do? In uh, you know, in circumstances that are not the typical situations. You know, so. I mean, and that could be true of both storylines because um, you know Riker had to put her into that situation where she wanted to stretch herself, and that's you know you have to make those hard decisions that's kind of what command is about so mm-hmm. and data was a little bit it was about finding himself just through his own natural abilities mm-hmm. although it, it seemed kind of weird that he forgot everything that he did did while he was there mm. well if data had been present would that have been i mean could i, I he, he could have gone in jordy's place right to fix that thing and not died from radio radiation. Now nah, they could. Probably, I'm sure they could make something up about the radiation would be too much for his positronic net or something. Yeah, they would. Yeah, it's just was yeah, something. Anyway. All right. I think it was the point of sending somebody to their death. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we got this one covered. Ready, right, guys? Ready to move on? Sure. Six degrees for thine own self. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Michael G. Haggerty plays Scoran, the blacksmith that likes warm metals and impaling icemen. 
that came off differently mm. than I thought it would when I wrote it. In Next Gen's fifth season, he played the Klingon Captain Larg in the episode Redemption 2. He and Kern shared a drink together. On which side of the Klingon Civil War did he fight? Gowron side or the Duras sisters side? Uh, Steve, you will not have the opportunity to <laughs> take this question should Adam get it incorrect. Very good. Um, the Duras. You're correct. It was a Duras. I thought that was a tricky question with him <laughs> having a drink with Kern. <laughs> uh, Steve, mm-hmm. Haggerty also... Uh, I'm sorry. There was no other... This is the best I could do for Six, six Degrees. Uh, Haggerty also played a bartender in the 1996 Star Trek video game from Simon & Schuster that featured the Klingons. What was it called? Uh, yeah, you got the hard one. Klingon? Yep, it was Star Trek Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it seemed hard, but then I thought, you know, if you make a guess, you're probably going to get it. So, one-to-one, moving on. Masks, Season 7, Episode 17, Production Number 269. Original air date, February 21st, 1994. Directed by Robert Weimer, written by Joe Minoski, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Ricky Deshaun Collins as Eric Burton. Soon after a sensor scan of an 87 million year old comet commences, alien artifacts begin appearing around the Enterprise, as well as mysterious design symbols and a set of alien looking icons that are grouped together in the same compass formation. The crew investigates, but the ship's computer is unable to identify the icons. Riker and Geordi realize that some kind of alien information has been downloaded into the ship's main computers from within the comet during the sensor scan. This is a micrograph of what's happened to Data's positronic net. Now, as near as I can tell, these are behavioral nodes. I've counted 14 so far. I think the archive is using Data to create different people within its culture much in the same way it used our replicators to create artifacts. As a result, Data's real personality has been completely buried. In a sense, Data has the android equivalent of multiple personalities. I would like to, again, I would like to start our conversation by reading the last few lines of my notes, which are all just real honest notes. These are not jokes, of course. (laughs) Picard creates mask to stop Data Queen. (laughs) Picard and Data... (laughs) Wearing masks and talking, we all fall asleep, everything gets fixed. (laughs) I'm going to start off by saying something I loved about this episode. I really liked some of the music. In fact, there was a cue whenever he goes, Data goes to pick up the mask right before he puts it on. Really cool music. Really cool. Who wrote the music for this one? Did you say Uh, Steve? Dennis McCarthy. Of course. My favorite. Of course. My favorite of the television composers, Dennis McCarthy. I, I like the go ahead. Oh, I like the concept. We're, look, the we're we're talking over each other because there's so many things yes. that we loved in this episode that we want to talk about. Enthusiasm. Yeah, I like the concept of find you know a time capsule and a comet. I kind of I, I do it. I like that that idea. Um, well, that that special effect whenever like the phasers are melting the ice away that looked really cool. Did it look that it was in HD, of course, but did it look that cool in SD? I don't remember. I don't remember, but I do remember. That's what I was going to say. Is I do like a lot of the effects in this one uh, with the comments yeah. and the melting and stuff. You know, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Now, what were you going to say about how much you loved something, Steve? When that, that's what I was going to say. The, uh, oh, that's your effects. Effect. Okay, yes. All right, six degrees. <laughs> 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 no, uh, 
You know, um, God, I, I hate this episode. What the hell is it about? What is it? I don't even. And when I say about, I mean like, what is the plot? What is the story in this episode? I don't know. What's the, I don't know what the crap is going on in this episode. It's a mess. It is a, as we say in 2015, it is a hot mess. I do not know what the f is going on in this episode. Yeah, they, it's like again, Adam. You said the concept. There is something interesting about like it's kind of well. It's like. It's almost like you take the concept of a really unusual time capsule and you do it really well and you get the inner light and you do it really poorly and you get this, you know, in the no, in the, with the sin, the sense that conveying culture in some unusual fashion, in a time capsule. And uh, yeah, I think because it has nothing to, there's no, there's absolutely zero character development. It's like almost like an excuse to get Brent Spiner to do a lot of voices and fun stuff. And it, and there's also these, in this episode, there's these, these things that are kind of like, it, it brings up these axioms that just recur over and over. Like when that big light thing hits the bridge early on, it's like, do you think they would have learned by now? If something weird <laughs> happens early on, yeah. it just, just shut down, stop. Yeah. And, and just data's acting a little bit weird. Lock yeah. him in the brig. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> they, those, yeah those, those, those are the two things. And they just never learn. They, they never learn <laughs> that wacky, wacky lights or something hits the bridge or data screws up. Just stop everything, lock everything yeah. down, figure it out. Don't go anywhere. Hey, I think that some of the matter on the ship is being turned into stop, stop. Fire <laughs> the torpedo right now. I want dust. That that structure outside needs to be dust right now. Fire, fire, fire. Yeah. Quickly snakes. before it turns into snakes. Snakes, yeah. snakes, snakes yeah. in a torpedo. Actually, you know, my son is is three and a half now, and that is apparently the right age to start to like a certain film. Uh, series, so I have been watching a certain film series many, many times, and when I saw that scene, I just I heard Woody's voice. There's a snake in my torpedo. <laughs> That's all I could think, over and over and over, all day. That's what I heard. <laughs> you know, one one of the day. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I just, even the the ship transforming stuff. I I read citizen research. Some people, I mean, everybody said, okay, that episode sucks. Yes, yes, mask sucks. But some of the 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 props and things that were created were really cool. I don't even think that stuff is cool. I think I think it looks stupid. I think it looks kind of dumb. By the last time we see the bridge, and it's just like you know, A sacrificial altar box <laughs> where the 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 bridge chairs were, and it it looks stupid. It looks stupid. <laughs> it doesn't make any freaking sense. Well, I guess we're just lucky that they didn't, you know, transform a bulkhead into a tree, because mm-hmm. then we'd all be sucked out into space, or or the warp half of the warp core, because then it would have gone critical or something. You know, I mean, this. I was a little uh, disappointed um, in, you know, so these aliens build this artifact that can last eighty-seven million years, and. The mythology that they convey is the sun chasing the moon, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I just, That's I mean, lame too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, it was it, they didn't figure it out till the end. I'm like, I mean, I it, it's not that hard to figure out. Okay, you have this big sun. You know, <laughs> it, when the first time when they're in the throne room, it looks like a horn. <laughs> the animal really? horn okay. symbol. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just it, like, come on, couldn't you yeah. come up with some better? I mean, first of all, like, what you would think, like, a more advanced civilization would, you know, communicate a little better than just mythology, but yeah. And yeah, and in any time <clears throat> an episode makes the, you know, the whole cast, especially, but any of the cat, any of the our primary characters look stupid, you know, that's bad. And then yeah, it does that a little bit here too. You know, I mean, look, masks, Sub Rosa, 
these are some terrible episodes, and there's other bad ones in this season. But I think this is the kind of reason, especially especially coming off the sixth season, which was so surprisingly strong, you know, mm-hmm. um, that the seventh season just isn't isn't regarded very well. And you know, we're 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 nearing all good things. And I have said before, and I will still say, I love all good things so much, and I think it's so good. It's of such high caliber that it's worth having episodes like Sub Rosa and Masks if that's what we had to get through to get to all good things. Um, but, you know, this episode, it's, it's like Sub Rosa, where God, I don't know if I ever want to watch this again. <laughs> I, it's Maybe it's ever so slightly better than Sub Rosa, which is allowing us to make fun of it a little bit more fun. We're having mm-hmm. more fun with it than I think we did Sub Rosa. Mm-hmm. Sub Rosa was just so bad that it was like not even so bad it's good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this episode is just, it just, it, it's just bad in every way an episode can be bad. And it makes, and, and, and worst of all, it's a cardinal sin where it just doesn't even make any sense. I can't even follow what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I like it when they try different things and I'm not the jerk out there who's all do something different, do something different, do something different. And then as soon as they do something different, that sucks. This sucks because it actually sucks. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't suck because they tried to do something different. You know, you you mentioned Inner Light. I think that's a great comparison. Inner Light is very different, very yeah. different from the traditional Star Trek episode, and it's one of the greatest episodes they ever did. So, yeah, I want them to do different things, but I just don't want them to do crap poorly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was at the end when Picard is you know talking to Data. You got to experience a whole civilization. I'm like, well, I didn't really did get he? that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was like three people. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in one of them, one of those voices, I don't know if you guys remember Night Court when he played that little country bumpkin. It sounded like that country bumpkin from Night Court a little bit. You know, I think he's recycling some of his characters there. <laughs> it's like, well, gosh darn it there. You know, I mean, it was just almost that, you know. We love you, Brent. Well, when you read the script, he was like, why should I put a lot of work into it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm this one in. Not to mention, he was doing doing it. Like he was working, I think he said he was working until midnight the night before on Thine Own Self, and that's when he got the script mm. for the next morning of doing masks, you know, and it was like he didn't have time to prepare. Um, maybe if the rest of the, if the story and stuff had been good or made any sense and the rest of the episode hadn't been, a, you know, a ball of snot, then uh, we could blame him, but I don't think you can blame him. Yeah, but, episode, what's yes. unusual about this episode, it's very rare that there's a bad data episode, too, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Well, certainly one that doesn't make any. It's 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 very rare for a Star Trek episode at all to just not make any sense. Spock's brain's terrible, but I can tell you exactly what happens in that episode, and I haven't watched it in years. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched this episode hours ago, and I still <laughs> cannot tell you what the hell happens. In this episode. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't get this episode. Uh, do you guys have anything for what it's about? No. Stay away from comments. Mm-hmm. Boy, I really like that music in that one scene. That's cool. That music. I like I like uh, Data Ehad or whoever he was at the time kneeling in front of Troy and right. saying, "Masaka, I am your." No, he wasn't Ehad at that time. He was somebody else. Masaka, I am yours. I am yours completely. And then Picard, I think he turns to Jordy and he says, "Should confine him to quarters." <laughs> 
You don't say. You think? Would that be a good idea? What do you want? Yeah. I just um I I had something written down. I noticed like there it, it happened at least twice where Picard made a suggestion and somebody in the crew was like, "Are you serious?" But there was that time at the end when he was like, "Let's just project this this mask," and Riker's like, oh, "I think that's a bit risky." We don't have that. <laughs> so it was always kind of you don't often see Picard questioned, and even especially in the you know, and it was just kind of like, "Are you serious? We're gonna do that?" You know, kind of manner. <laughs> um, I just kind of found it amusing more than anything. Because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, because like, because like you said, this episode's a mess. It's just kind of like, what are these? What are they supposed to do with this? Well, they're supposed to provide us fodder for <laughs> our discussion, as well as six degrees for masks. Um, Steve, are you going first or second? I go first. Ricky Deshaun Collins returns as little Eric Burton. This was a tough episode, as you can imagine, folks. Mm. Uh, so I had to get, you know, really, really stretch here. Uh, for people that don't listen to our show very often, in case we have any new listeners, um, we, we talk about what are these episodes about. When we don't have an answer for what it's about, it usually means it's not that great. And I mean, like, really, what's it about? And we also do a little game here called Six Degrees. Uh, where I normally ask about an actor who played multiple parts in different episodes of Star Trek. Nobody really did that here. So Steve Ricky Deshaun Collins returns as little Eric Burton. He last played him in Liaisons. He'll play him one last time in the episode First Born. Who visits Worf in this episode? Um, I'll take any name. Yeah, I'll take Alexander. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Uh, Adam? Yes. The temple set was modified slightly and reused as the villain's fortress in DS9's Blood Oath. Who was the villain in that episode? What was his name? It, um, they called him a certain name. They didn't actually call him a proper name. They had a, a name they called him. The Albino? Yep. That's, I thought that was a tough one. Yeah. Wow. Two and two. Moving on. Eye of the Beholder, Season 7, Episode 18, Production Number 270, Original Air Date, February 28, 1994, Directed by Cliff Boll, Story by Brennan Braga, Teleplay by Rene Echevarria, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Mark Rolston as Walter Pierce, Nancy Harewood as Nara, Tim Lunibus as Lieutenant Daniel Kwan, Joanna McCloy as Maddie Calloway, Nora Leonhart as Woman, Dugan Savoy as Man, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. The crew is stunned by the suicide of Lieutenant Kwan, who jumps into a plasma stream by his workstation in a nacelle under control. Troy and Worf investigate, and they are baffled as to why the seemingly well-adjusted crew member would take his own life. The woman he was dating, Ensign Calloway, is equally shocked, as is Lieutenant Nara, Quan's supervisor, who remarks that Quan seemed normal the day he took his life. Troy climbs a ladder towards the catwalk where Quan jumped from and is suddenly overwhelmed by a sense of panic and fear. I don't know how to describe it. I was suddenly overwhelmed by a flood of emotions. Fear, rage, panic. And the sensations didn't seem to be coming from any person. They were just there in the room. Well, then whose emotions were they? I thought you said you were alone. I was. I scanned the area. I found no anomalous readings. How could you get an empathic impression from an empty room? I don't know. Another out-of-context line. Troy overcome by emotion in the cell tube. As if she's, you know, as if she just loves the nacelle tube. You know, 
It means so much to her. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, I always remember this one, and I always like this one. Uh, I think this is probably, like I said, this is probably on on par with Dino and stuff as far as I enjoy it. It's got a lot of cool, you know, Star Trek things, history things, cool character stuff with Troy. Um, have we in any way seen Utopia Planitia before? Or the construction of the Enterprise before? I thought we I saw know. it in one of Jordy's episodes. Wasn't he working... The, oh, what's that? That doctor? Oh, when you make the holodeck program and you see like yeah. outside the thing in the holodeck, maybe yeah. a little bit of that. Yeah, that would be the closest. Leah Brahms and all that, right? Yeah. Leah Brahms. So that kind of stuff is cool, you know. Um, so there's a lot of cool, fun stuff in this episode. So I do, I do like it. Um, I'm a little bit confused about one fundamental thing. Um, you know what? I'll get to that after. Let me hear what you guys' first thoughts on Eye of the Beholder. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good episode. Um, um, it's interesting you have that whole. I I actually had forgotten that this was all a you know a spoiler alert dream sequence that she was going through. I remember it was probably was I was like halfway through it and then I'm like, oh yeah, she's actually still standing at the at the plasma thing. So it was kind of that was kind of fun too to remember to not. Sometimes you watch these episodes you don't remember something, so that was kind of fun to experience that again. Yeah, well that was that was gonna be my my. Confusion. Exactly when does does the dream start? I assumed it was when she and Worf are in there, and she goes up there and asks him to open the door. Yeah, that's okay, what I so thought. It's, so it's not the first time she goes there. Second time. It's the With second Worf. time. Okay. Hmm. Um. So, so Worf, Worf. Uh, almost ask, almost asking Riker if he can date Troy does happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kissing her and apparently the not other- having sex because it never looks like it on Star Trek. Uh, whatever that does happen, mm-hmm. none of that actually happens. <laughs> I get that's what that's my okay. assumption. Okay. Yes. See that you know part of what makes it confusing is because <clears throat> that. Like, if if the Worf stuff really does happen, yet everything... I mean, if, if Worf... If Worf thinks about... Or is going to ask Riker for approval to date Troy. Uh-huh. Um, but we don't see... But nothing where he actually comes on to Troy does happen. Yet, when he does, it's just all in Troy's mind. Right. That see how that would make it confusing. Mm-hmm. Right, like they're just on the same wavelength. Like warps yeah. into her, but she's into him enough to dream about it. Right. Yeah. yeah she kind of had. To, um, this was kind of her. Remember a couple episodes back when Worf was going through inter- interdimensional stuff. So this yeah. was her chance to get to, sit, to get to experience being with Worf, but not really. So. Mm-hmm. It's on both their minds, obviously. Yes. Um, as our bones in the wall <laughs> mm. that's a cool that's a cool bit right the bones in the wall i like that remains in the wall um you know i mean i think i think the first time i ever saw this episode i remember being really confused because like i i didn't realize that that much of it was a dream sequence i thought pierce was like real and they really had arrested him or something or you know it it was confusing to me the first time i saw it 
a long time ago. Um, but I, I think, if anything, it's still it's still a bit confusing in that sense, and um, and it's not confusing because it was clever. It's confusing because it was, you know, it should have been a little bit more clear. I don't know, uh, Steve. Some what are your, some of your first thoughts here? Yeah, I always I always dug it because it's uh, you know these kind of uh, puzzles, you know mystery things. That's that's always interesting anyway. Plus, like you already alluded to, uh, getting some background on Troy or history and so on. And uh, I think that's interesting too. Um, I like I like that you know these kind of insights into what life is like and what the what the attitudes are about certain things, and the you you certainly gather that suicide is extremely rare in this time, mm -hmm. very early on. You know, getting those kind of that information about how certain things that we take for granted now, you know, or amongst certainly among Starfleet, it's very rare. So, well, if you think so much of present day mental instability, if it's caused by, um chemical imbalances or things like that, mm -hmm. not only would they be uh, more quickly detected uh, in the future, but more easily remedied. Mm -hmm. So you would think that that would, that would be a large percentage. I have no idea what percentage, but a large percentage of, of depression and suicide would, would, would be caused from those sorts of things. Um, thing, now, that's, there's, you're still going to have uh, depression that could lead to suicide caused by other things. Um, but I bet that's such a big part of it. Um, actually, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, it's rare for, for Star Trek to even discuss suicide, obviously, but the scene with Data and Geordi when they discuss it kind of in the beginning of the episode, it's not as completely anti-suicide as you would expect it to be. Mm. I would, it was almost I was almost a little bit I don't know uncomfortable I'm like what if it gosh I think that I think a show like this has a certain responsibility um, to its audience and um, I don't know I, I think that it maybe should have been you know data's asking maybe maybe this is the more mature way to have the conversation uh, you know data's asking why would someone do this? Jordy's response seems to be, "Well, he, there was something he thought he couldn't control. I mean, it wasn't there wasn't there wasn't much judgment, and that, that sounds negative. Um, there wasn't much, you know. That's a bad thing, you know. Um, even even Data saying, "Well, I considered ending myself." Um, but ultimately, I decided not to. I mean, there's not much there, there, you know. Right. Well, because he his delivery, of course, being data, is so rational by its very nature, and it, and it make, makes it come across as that was a um, an option that was even viable. Mm -hmm. I suppose this is this comes off much better than like a super preachy scene. Remember the drug? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. Do drugs. We, we, we don't want to just say no to suicide. Yeah. I mean, it could yeah, like yeah. This this is certainly better than that. Um, but it just doesn't feel um, as nuanced as I guess I would have liked it. It's, it's a it's a little bit of a weird scene. Like I don't know. I don't. I never quite feel the direction of the scene. It mm -hmm. it almost feels like filler. 
and that seems like far too serious of a topic uh, for them to discuss in a filler way, you know. Mm-hmm. That seems. Yeah. Um, eh, but that's I guess neither here nor there. Um, Troy, you know, Marina. We've we've said it many times, but she really is a great actress. Yeah. When they give her stuff to do, she always nails it. Yeah. You know, um, we there there have been episodes that we thought were bad that were Troy episodes, but she was still great in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is definitely no exception. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, and it's kind of contrast with um, um, Beverly and the Crusher character. She didn't get a whole lot of good stuff, especially in this season. It's kind of like they didn't figure out the Doctor character until they got to DS9. I know they um figuring out what to how to handle the Doctor and what they could do, that kind of thing. I just kind of feel bad for her because she's a good actress too, but it just seemed like, um, you know, or the problems they had with Marina in the beginning of the of the um, series, they didn't know what to do with her. It seemed like that's kind of how they were with um, um, Crusher towards the end. It's like it wasn't really much to do with her. You know, she she's so good. Sometimes it's like she's schooling the the guest actor. I mean, and I I did I was very unimpressed with the Calloway character in the in terms of the actress portrayal yeah. that it seemed so flat and whatever. And it yeah. just seems like night and day. You know, like when 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 she, they're playing off or something or like they're doing the stupid laugh part or whatever, and she's breaking down, and it's a, it's just like actor non actor almost. That's well, you know, it, like. and it makes. It makes the writing more transparent. She's got a yeah. line, something like, "Oh, I remember, I remember. It's not like Dan to commit suicide." If you just read that, thing. yeah, it's a dumb line. But if you just read that line, you'd be like, "That's a dumb line." But you know what? <laughs> I'll bet you every single episode of this show, we could pick out half a dozen things, lines that that if you just read them, they would be dumb lines. But we never even think they're dumb because the the our lead actors are so good yes. that well, they true. deliver them in a way that we just don't, we skip right over it. This girl isn't. You're right. The the girl that played Callaway wasn't very good. Um, she filled out her uniform no, it, very it, nicely. Well, okay. I shouldn't say that she wasn't very good. It's just that like Marina is really good, and she can't really stand up next to Marina in a scene which is the two of them. So when she gets a line like, admittedly stupid line, uh, a dumb line, I should say, like. Um, Dan would whatever <laughs> I already forgot it. You know, uh, if if Marina had to deliver a line like that, I don't think we would notice. That's my point. Yeah. Right. Well, we would uh, see more. Really we would see like a store thumb, store thumb. We would see the emotion from Marina. I mean, I didn't get, I didn't get any emotion from Vincent Keller. It was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like she. It wasn't like they were dating. It was more like they were just casual work friends. You know, not yeah. not even that close. Kind of like acquaintances. That's kind of like something you would say about an acquaintance. Be like, oh my gosh, I didn't. I can't believe he did that, you know. Yeah. And if you didn't know him that well, you you know, you don't have that an emotional connection to it. So that's kind of where I was lacking that from that character. Yeah. Um, is there a scene that kind of sticks out for you guys in this episode that you really like? I mean, I like the the Riker scene in the bar with Worf and Riker. I mean, it's just it's pretty amusing. Um <laughs> Do you think Riker was playing with him? Like Riker knew what he was getting at, or is well, is, is, he, is the thought of of Worf and Troy so far from his mind that who he was kind of onto it because at the end he said, "You sound like a guy who's asking to date 
my sister or something, you know, so he was on to something. Yeah, but Riker doesn't have a sister. So, I mean, Riker knew he was talking about somebody specific, but what I'm asking is, do you think Riker realized it was Troy? Um, I don't know, because, you know, obviously Riker's got a lot of insight, and that kind of intuition. At the same time, I think where it come, when it comes to Troy... I think it might be something different. I think, I think he was—he's delusional. I've, you know, we know how they end up, but I think from the series, he's almost—he's not really in touch with his fully in touch with how he feels about her and the reality. You know. Well, you know, obviously they'll touch on that in the very end, but and all good things, but yeah, I don't—I don't think he's aware. Hmm. Because you know what happened to Worf? He hasn't mentioned to anybody. He's kept it pretty private, you know, because you, you, Worf's a, he's an enclosed guy, so I'm sure he hasn't mentioned this to anybody, so, so nobody knows. My feeling is, is how is he able to keep his feelings away from Troy? Because we all know that he kind of likes her, so how is he able to mask that with her? Can or she is he Klingons as easily as anybody else? I think she can, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I, I like, I think, Steve, you mentioned, but I like the mystery, you know, I like some of those scenes. Especially near the beginning, when you're like, "What?" Like this morning, he was okay when he let read it. He did mm. his personal log, and now he goes from that to killing himself. You know, I like that mystery. Um, but I think my favorite scene is the the longer of the flashbacks on uh, Utopia Planitia, and just seeing that same mm-hmm. set when it's got like you know lights set up so they can see what they're doing, and imagining imagining the Enterprise is almost like a shell where they they get the power working and uh, I assume uh, gravity plating and then, and then after that they're just in there working on it for months and putting things together I don't know that 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 I get a kick out of which doesn't have much to do with the episode but yeah um what did you guys think of the I know it's so I can't take it all that seriously because it's a whole dream sequence but I I didn't really like the scene where Worf and Troy ended up kissing it just she didn't seem to me. It was just kind of flat, you know. She was like, "I think that would be best. You should go home, you know." And then they kiss. It was just seemed there wasn't a lot there, but I guess I can't take it too seriously because it was a dream sequence. Yeah, he, he does. He is slow, you know. If I, I'm, you know, if I'm just trying to read into it, like how would Troy imagine it? How would she want it to be? You know, he takes her hand first. And mm-hmm. That doesn't seem very like Klingon like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's. I, I agree with you. It's not quite as perfect chemistry as they seem to have, say, in parallels. Right. Um, but you know, it's it's fine. It didn't didn't bother me too much. Anything else you guys want to talk about in this one before we go? What's about? No. So what's it about? <laughs> it's a bad sign, folks. It's a bad sign. <coughs> it's also bad radio. <laughs> That's <silence. laughs> Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Think about what it's about. Um, um, well, I guess you could, you know, how... <laughs> one thing that I was kind of thinking about is a little bit of a stretch. is just kind of how energy radiates positive, negative energy, and it goes out into the world, you know. It never... You can't destroy energy, so something that horrific, you know, it's kind of like a haunted house, you know, and you hear about somebody who was murdered in a house, it still has that negative energy or that vibe, so that's kind of what I was 
thinking there, you know. Oh. That's cool. I think it's a hell of a stretch, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really, I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't have much here on this. I mean, I, I like it. I, you know, I can't say that, I mean, it's an interesting mystery, but in terms of the whole, the whole theme, I mean, the, o- the only thing I felt was meaningful out of it was the, the whole, uh, support, you know, of people close to people, you know, I mean, this is obviously a very unusual situation. These aren't, uh, you know, people in depression and it leads to suicidal tendencies, but, you know, we certainly have people around that are concerned and, you know, right there and want to help and so on. You know, I I thought that was something. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to... Six degrees for Eye of the Beholder. I think it's two to two. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Steve, pick a number between one and ten. Five. <laughs> Adam, Mark Ralston plays Walter Pierce, the lieutenant that Troy thinks is still with us that isn't but was present during the ship's construction but killed people but killed himself too but left a part of himself hmm. on the ship because I don't know. That's it. In Enterprise's second season, he played Kuroda, the Enolian criminal. In this episode, two members of Enterprise's crew Oh, I didn't even say the name of the episode. It was, um, Car- Car- oh gosh, I should have written that down. Caramana? Car- Car- ah. In this episode, two members of Enterprise's crew are arrested and placed on a prison ship. And the name of the episode, I think, is the prison that they're on their way to. I think it starts with a C, but now I can't remember it. Anyway, which two members, which two crew members are arrested and placed on the prison ship in this episode? Um, Archer and Tucker. Very good. Wow. All right. Uh, Steve, let's see if we can do three to three. Mm. Ralston also played a Klingon, Captain Mach, during Enterprise's fourth season in the episode The Augments. Who created The Augments? Mm. Who created The Augments? Three-parter. Oh, uh, was it uh, Soon? You're all right, Dr. Soon. Wow. Nice. You guys got every question. I thought I had a couple of hard ones in there, too. Jeez. Honestly, I just kind of picked the first two names that popped in my head. Just got <laughs> lucky. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we lost Leonard Nimoy last Friday. You know, I've talked about, I thought that it, that would be a hard thing. And, I, yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to happen eventually. And he was... You know, he's he is at least a good year ago that he announced he had you know this this disease from smoking, even though he quit smoking decades ago. You know, so we knew it was coming. Um, and then a few days before, maybe a week before he died, we heard that he had been rushed to the hospital from chest pains and stuff. Um, but he was still sending out tweets and things, and I guess it was just still. It was still a shock when it happened on Friday morning. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, I always knew that his would be the single hardest loss for me. Um, hell, not just for Star Trek, but I think for any anybody. Yet. And, I, and I realized after, you know, the hours of emotion, of really intense emotion that I went through that morning. I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I, I really, I really think that I genuinely 
loved him. I mean, really, really loved him. And in a way, I mean, and I've, I can't say that about any other person on earth that I don't actually know. <laughs> Anybody else I can really, really say that kind of actual love for, it's friends or family, you know, somebody that I really know. And it sounds, it sounds so weird. It's such a, such a bizarre thing to like essentially love a stranger, you know? Um, but he, he's the, and he's the only one that I feel felt that way about, not just Star Trek, but anything. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but I think it's, I think it was because who he was as a person and the, the effect he had on me personally and professionally, even though I never really met him, you know, other than, you know, having him sign something at a convention or seeing him on stage several times, but you know, I, I never had a conversation with him ever. Um, I think it was, he, he, he was more than just an actor on the, on the show. He, 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 he went from that incredible position of already being the guy that more than any other that I, that I loved on the show and that sold me on the show. But he went from that to being, you know, he went behind the camera. He was, he was very involved in the creative direction of the, of the film franchise in the eighties after the first film, um, you know, writing either, if not writing, at least coming up with story. And then obviously he directed two of my, my all time favorite Star Trek three, as well as Star Trek four, one of the more successful ones. And when you think about the direction that the film franchise took, which after the first movie, they took a dramatically different direction. Um, I mean, yeah, that was a lot of that was, was, was Harv Bennett and Nick Meyer. Um, but he had a lot to do with it. And that was really influential for all of the Star Trek after. Because, you know, Next Gen didn't come around until 87. Um, so he was so much more than an actor in a role that I really liked. And, I, and I'm not sure I would say that about so many of the others, even the others that I love. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know I, I guess I'm still not ready to talk about it entirely, but, you know, it was, it sucked. I mean, I got more things I want to say, but I'm just, what kind of, why do you guys think, do you guys agree with me, you know, that he, that he's he's going to be harder than most, if not all, of any of anyone losing anybody else, and, and if so, why? I I agree, and you know I think that at any given moment, um, any individual, and and it, and it's sometimes it's easier to figure this out than other times, but it certainly is true for me that the person I don't, the individual whom I don't know personally, whose death would affect me most was going to be him, you know, and I, and that's, it was absolute, you know, I knew that. And, uh, and now it's not as clear cut as to who takes the place of that, you know? And I think, yeah, I think you summed it up really well. There are a lot of reasons for that. Um, it's, it's, it's that unusual mix of, you know, you have this, you have this 
this cultural phenomenon that obviously we're all doing this thing here, so it's important to us, you know. So it is relevant that it's Star Trek. You have all these things come together in the sense that he, you know, plays the character that is most identified with the Star Trek franchise. And he was with the franchise in a number of capacities from the beginning to the most recent incarnation of it. And we know his personality. We know who he is. We know, you know, we don't we don't have anything negative to assign to that. You know, there's it's such mm. a you know this positive. So th- that's a very rare thing. You know, someone that you know what what is it that what are your interests? What what do you love about it? Who do you tie most to it? You know, is what is the person's character associated with that? You know, and not only that, I can tell you for me that, I you know the more I pondered it. Um, I came to some conclusions I hadn't really thought of before in that, the, I mean, not Leonard Nimoy, but the character that he, you know, so much is his responsibility of Spock is there are a lot of, there are a lot of parts of me that are that character. So there, you know, it's, it's, you know, in, in some sense, you know, I, you know, I'm part of that too. You know, I mean, I, you know, you, you, you look up to things, you identify with certain things and it, yeah, there's an element of, of, of a small element of like father figure in there. Yeah. 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 I think so. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it's, a, I, I wouldn't a rare say that about all Shatner. That. I, I like Shatner a lot, right. but I wouldn't, I, I, I never had that feeling about him. You're no, right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Caesar, what are, what were some of your, um, I mean, do, do, what do you think about this question of, of? I won't know until until we lose another one. So I can't I can't sit here and tell you for sure that, um, for example, William Shatner's death isn't going to affect me in the same way, one way or another. You know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't even thought about how I never really thought about how. Leonard Nimoy's death would affect me even before it happened. It wasn't something that I gave a whole lot of thought. It was one of those things like, yeah, he's getting older. He's going to pass. And I will be be honest, it struck me deeper than any other, you know, actor or artist that has died. I mean, um, last summer when Robin Williams died, I was I was very saddened by Robin's death. Very, very saddened and a little bit disturbed. Um, but um, with Leonard, it, it, it hit me a lot harder. I mean... Um, a lot harder, and I probably had the same feelings that most both of you did. Well, you did. You actually did get to have a conversation with with Leonard. Uh, we yes. put it on our on our show, our Christmas <laughs> episode. Yeah. Yeah, and I was I lucky think- to. Yeah, very lucky and fortunate to to spend about you know maybe ten fifteen minutes with him tops, probably ten minutes tops. Um, so yeah, he's you know he's a kind generous guy man i mean that's all i can say about him he let me ask him some goofy questions and i was very nervous and it's one of the first interviews i've ever done um i'll never forget it i mean it was i'll cherish that memory forever do you guys remember go ahead well i think what it comes down to for me is like you know um i i started off on star trek very young i remember just watching the episodes it was every saturday at seven and in the early 80s until Next Gen came on. So, you know, I got to see Leonard, Shatner, George, all those guys every week. So in a lot of ways, it kind of felt like, you know, they helped raise me in a weird, strange way. Not yeah, literally, yeah. but I mean, you know, Star Trek is we, you know, the reason we're doing the show is because it has so many moral and philosophical implications. And 
I feel like as a kid, I was like kind of, you know, I got to learn a lot about how you're supposed to act as a human being. I mean, I, I mean, granted, I took the vast majority of it that I got from my parents, friends, and family, but this was like kind of like a support thing. And later on in life, you know, with the internet and the, all the shows and stuff like that, we get to know all these actors as individuals. And um, I've never been disappointed by any of them. Um, I know a lot of people get taken back by Shatner, but I, you know, I, I, I love them all. And I think we're fortunate in the day and age that we live in is that um, we actually got to know them as people in a little bit, just a little bit, not fully, but, you know, with Leonard, he did all of his art. He branched out. He did other things um, that he talked about. That interview that I did with him that night, he it was had nothing to do with Star Trek. It was about his um, photography book and, you know, what he was trying to, you know, explore the feminine side of things, where that came from and all that kind of stuff. And I found that fascinating about him that, you know, he was more than just an actor. Right? He was just an artist. That, that was who he was. He was an artist for his entire life. And um, we're fortunate to live in his era. Yeah, I, I think I think that's 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 what's going on here. Is like it's the culmination of all of these different things. You know, it's and and so rarely do we have one point. You know, one figure that we can point to for so many mm-hmm. of these things. And it's and if you think about, you know, obviously we're all tied to a number of different interests that would be similar. So it's not coincidental that I'm sure all our our Facebook feeds and our Twitter feeds and all this were, were just, you know, bogged down with, oh my gosh, that's all, that's all that's going on. But, you know, I, I think it's, I'm not going to call it universal because it doesn't, you know, it's for people that, you know, are not, not only into Trek, not into sci-fi, not into whatever, it's different. But at the same time, it, he's such an iconic figure in the sense that he represents, it's almost like he's the, the kind of the, the king of, the pop culture that we talk about when we talk about sci-fi and fandom, fandom in general, you know, this, mm-hmm. this kind of idea. Yeah, more you know? than any other single individual. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. And, and not only that, he's got this kind of, you know, because, because of the Spock character, but this, 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 you know, people all know what that's about. Like, who doesn't know what that's about, you know? Yeah, and, even non-Star Trek people. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have this, and you, and you have, and, and, and that's like it's like this logical thing, but it's not cold because the way he did it, and that's why it's him and not just the Spock character. He portrayed this character that is okay. It's logical, logical, but he's a he's a he's a divided character. He's warring with his emotions. You know, he's got compassion, and how do you integrate this? And that's what we all deal with. That's that's life. That's that's our condition. You know, well, and that's that's what that's what that's about. Well, of the three of them, and we'll talk about um, DeForest and Shatner and mm-hmm. Leonard. I would say Leonard was the heart um, of of that of that group, just that trio there, because they, you know, they were the trinity. You know, if you didn't have one of those guys, it might not have worked. We might not be sitting here talking about Star yeah. Trek today. So, and when I look at Leonard and the character Spock, I look that he was the heart that kind of bind them. Um, Kirk was the passion, the the drive. Um, and McCoy was kind of the grounding force among the three of them. Um, so, uh, you know, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'll react when, when another one dies. Um, because I, I they've all say, been, a, they, they've all been a part of my life. Since. Yeah. Well, yeah. When, I mean, when you think about like, like what you said, Steve, I mean, you know, he was, he was literally there in the unaired pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was over fifty years ago. 
Right. You know, Star Trek isn't officially 50, maybe until the 50th anniversary of the first aired episode. But over 50 years ago, he was in the unaired pilot. He was the one, you know, the main, the guy that that came along to the actual show, even though most everybody else was replaced. Um, and then he was there. He was there for a scene in Star Trek Into Darkness when he was in his 80s, mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, 2013. Um, so he really was there from the before the beginning until the most recent incarnation. Um, the only, was was Mitchell Barrett? Was she in the original pilot or no? Yeah, she played she played the XO, um, but you know, of course, then they changed her character. Um, but I got to say, I, I I was really surprised and and pleasantly surprised, I guess, and and found that really heartwarming the way the whole world did seem to respond. You know, for mm-hmm. one day, um, mm-hmm. you know, for in in our world. You know, in fan, world of fandom and stuff, it's going to last longer than that. But even outside of that world, the whole world took notice on that Friday. I every single news, every single page I went to, anything I could think of, domestic, international, anywhere around the world, he was the front top story. Yeah, you know, and that was that was really wonderful, and it was really great. And I think for a precious few hours, um, we were all we were all yeah, members. and they, they, everyone everyone kind of understood. Um, you know, I'm gonna. I'll tell. I'll tell one brief story. You know, I. Yes, I. I'm. You know, I don't know why I don't like to talk to say these sorts of things, but it's just our listeners. Nobody else is gonna know. Yes, I. 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 I stayed home that morning. I was on my way out the door to go to work, uh, at a post house, and I heard that news, and I couldn't go anywhere, and I stayed home, and, and I cried for a few hours. Uh, and every time I tried to leave, I was and, and unable to do it. So every time I thought I was okay, and then all of a sudden it would be like I just heard the news again. Um, so I, but I had to go. I had some stuff that I had to get done. So I had to get into there into work. Um, but I, I, I wasn't able to go until the afternoon. So after lunch, I, you know, I was driving in, and there was, there was one person. I won't say the person's name. Uh, one person at my post house that. I'll have, I guess I have to say the gender. She's she's cool and all, but but she definitely she knows about my fandom and things and thinks it's so trivial and silly and little kid of me, right? Um, and I was actually imagining on my drive-in, ugh, she's <laughs> gonna say something, and I need to be prepared for that. So what you know what how how do I I don't want to get upset. I'm just gonna say, I'm just, maybe I'll just say nothing. You know, I I was I was prepared fully prepared for her to say, make some little sarcastic dig or something you know like anyway i got in and i went into my office and she came up to my office which she never does and she said to me and i was i was like you know bracing myself and she says to me is today a sad day and i said and i was surprised by the even asking that question i Mm -hmm. said yes it is and she said let me know if you need anything Mm -hmm. i couldn't believe it you know and it's like that is the power of Leonard Nimoy, and that is how much he crossed over so well, and he he symbolized all of this more than any other single person in a way that it crossed over, and she understood. You know? I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was speechless. I was trapped at Walmart. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I was I was at work, and I didn't know until noonish Central Time, you know, and so oh. yeah, it was tough. Um, and I mean, you know, I I did I did have you know, and I'm, I'm I think I'm I find myself a fairly decent compartmentalizer, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was still tough. I mean, I fortunately was in a position where I could camp out in my area um, and not have a whole lot of contact, um, but it, it would just hit me ever so often, you know, and. Um, yeah, and I, I I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but it kind of was in the sense that, you know, I read that on the flashes on your phone, and it's just like someone just smacks you upside the face, you know, it just knocks you the physical reaction. Yeah, it's how how did you guys hear? I mean, do you got like CNN? I had a CNN news alert. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I heard from you, Brian. Oh. Really? Yeah, I got your text right after that CNN news alert. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, but I think what's, um, so I did a lot, so I was at Walmart and I had to go outside and I went outside and it was in the sun. Yeah, I broke down a little bit and it was kind of weird being out in public. So I had my sunglasses on, thank goodness. <laughs> um, I thought about putting my it, sunglasses on on the way into work, but I'm like, that's just going to make it even worse. <laughs> yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I would read some stuff. I read quite a bit of stuff cause, uh, um, I had, I had, a flat tire and I had to take it to Walmart to get it fixed. Um, and that took about four hours. So, but that's neither well, here nor there. Crappy day, wasn't it? <laughs> it made me cry. But it, but it, yeah, but it, um, <laughs> maybe that's why I did cry. Um, but yeah, I got a chance to read quite a few articles. I read quite a few just to, and that was to, to your point, Brian, it was really, yeah, all the, you know, I was looking on the Twitter, I was looking on Twitter and just all the nice things and how everybody kind of came together and, you know, Sadness and in celebration of this man. Mm-hmm. I want to and point out one. Did. There was one that I that I want to mention. Did you guys see what what Frakes wrote? Uh, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly. Jonathan. Yeah, his his tweet was something like, "Here's to the the greatest first officer," something like that. Hmm. <laughs> That's pretty classy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, pretty classy. Uh, I don't want to end so. On downers here. Do you guys remember the first time you saw him in person? I think it was. I mean, I don't think I saw him until that uh, 40th anniversary deal we did. Yeah, really? same here. Yeah, yeah. same. I'd really? seen Shatner. I'd seen Shatner a couple of times. I had too. Yeah, but I hadn't seen Nimoy in front huh. of the 40th. And then I, I saw thought you guys went to more, especially you, Steve, like in the 90s. Yeah, I did, but it just, it just, yeah. he just yeah. wasn't there. It just was a more like – he didn't make a, as many appearances. And, and, of course, local conventions in the Midwest, obviously, it's much farther from his home. So it stands to reason. But, yeah. I, mm. Well, I think – so that would have been – 06. 06, right. And I'm, I'm certain that the last time I saw him was for the 45th, 2011, Steve, when right. you and I saw him yeah. in – 11, yeah. That was Vegas. Yeah. And that was the show where he came out and – and didn't do any questions, and he just came out and gave his whole life story. Mm-hmm. It was like his retirement speech, yeah. and it was fantastic. I'll never, ever forget that. I'm so glad that we got that. Yeah. You know, and every time I ever saw him, by the way, if he was coming on stage solo, he always seemed to have something prepared. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he never just came out, sat down, and said, all right, fire away with your questions. You know? And yeah. There are plenty of guys to do that. I'm not knocking people to do it, but he always had something prepared, even if it was short, and then he went into questions. But I saw him, I hate to say this, but I think I, I saw him so many times that I've, that I've, I think I've forgotten some of the times because I tried really hard, and then I'll think of another one. Um, honestly, one of my favorite times I ever saw him, 
Um, this was two, two, ah, God, 2008, 2009. I don't remember, but it, it was with the woman who is now my wife, but way before we got married. So it must've been 2000. It couldn't have been before 2008. Anyway, uh, they did a screening of Star Trek four on the lot at Paramount, you know, and I, I don't, Paramount and Fox, I would say, these are the places I don't know anybody, but, but my wife does. So she got us into that screening. I mean, I, 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 you couldn't buy a ticket or something. She got us into the screening. And um, he came out and introduced it, and he, he answered a few questions. It was kind of, on one hand, it was lame because the people that put it on, were, it, was, it, was, it, was not for, it was not for Star Trek people. You know, this was for industry people. And they let you submit questions ahead of time, like on, a, on note cards or something. You know, and I, I remember I like I was oh, oh man surely they'll ask me. And I I had, I don't even remember exactly what I wrote, but I thought it was a good question. It was very specific. And what questions did they end up pulling out of? The, did they actually go after they their pre-selected questions? They were all the same things that I, as a Star Trek fan, had heard him say a kajillion times before. Where did you come up with the salute? You know, the you mm-hmm. know stuff like that. And I thought, well, that's kind of lame. But then I just realized, well, you know what? This isn't for this is for industry people. But at any rate, the reason I thought this was such a cool thing was because we were like next to the building <laughs> where they shot Star Trek, you know? <laughs> um, they shot like uh, uh, Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, all that stuff was on what it was stage 16 and this was at the screening room. And um, So that was really cool to see him on the Paramount lot. Uh, that was one of the, the more exciting times. Um, I remember seeing him at Jimmy Doohan's last, his kind of farewell convention thing, which was a little bit sad because at that point Doohan really was not himself anymore but you know like Neil Armstrong was there and stuff that was here in LA that was that was kind of cool but actually my my most memorable I'm not I won't go into every single time I ever saw him but the most memorable one for me um was the very first time I saw him in person which was um the late 90s I'm not sure exactly when Uh, you know he one of the first questions somebody asked him. I remember, and I said he always had something prepared that day. He brought in like a tape of Star Trek Four flubs, you know, and funny behind the scenes stuff that I don't know that I've seen any other way except for him playing it that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, somebody asked a question about how do you select the jobs because either either. What was the Disney animated feature that he did a voice in? Atlantis? Michael J. Fox? And I think it was Atlantis. He did a voice in that. And um, either he had, they had just announced that he was going to do that or it had just come out or something. You know, and somebody asked about that. And I remember him saying, like, you know, I am retired. So pretty much at this point, it's not about the money or whatever. It's just about who am I going to work with and, you know, the kind of people I'm going to be spending time with, you know. And I and I remember thinking, wow. I mean, I was like, I don't know, twenty or something. And I'm like, wow, that would be so, so great. <laughs> oh, how wonderful! He's he's earned that right to, you know. Brian, did you watch props, um? You know? but did you watch much of the um? So the video I sent you, I think it had a good portion of his lecture that he gave that night when I interviewed him. When he was yeah. talking about his um his art, I don't know how good the picture quality is anymore, but the audio comes in pretty good. Yeah, you can understand him. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and I, I some other event I saw him at that was about his his photography. Um, yeah, 
Um, I remember at that, that very first day that I saw him, that first time that I saw him, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, we're wrapping up. Uh, he, uh, I, I think I, I got my laser disc signed or something and I was so excited and I wanted to tell him how much Star Trek three meant to me. Cause that was one of the, there were one of the reasons that I came out here to LA, you know, there were, there were, there were a couple of movies, Star Trek three, seven samurai that, that convinced me, you know, I, this is more than a love of film. Like I, I, I think I want to be a part of this industry, mm. you know, and I think, and I've always thought about the, the scene in Star Trek three where they steal the enterprise, which is probably my favorite single scene in cinema <clears throat> history. Um, certainly my favorite Star Trek scene of anything. And, and there's so much in that scene. I mean, it's exciting and it's, and it looks cool and it sounds cool, you know, but all that aside, it, it so much of everything they're doing in that scene is all what Star Trek is to me and the relationship of these characters and their love of Spock and my love of Spock, you know, and, and I've heard people say that, they didn't like Star Trek three because Spock wasn't in it. And I've always disagreed with that assessment because I personally feel that Spock is in Star Trek three more than any other film. You know, the entire movie is about him and their love of him and how important it is, um, for them to get their family back. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I guess what it all comes down to is Leonard Nimoy, represented more than a lot more than Star Trek to me. Um, and well, I, the only, I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to write, I didn't write anything on Twitter or anything like that. I did read a lot of stuff. The only thing I wrote, I wrote on our Facebook page and that was, you know, thank you for making our world a better place. And, and I, I mean, it's a simple thing, but it's, it's completely true. And I don't, you know, he left the world a better place than he found it. And I can't think of a better thing to say about anybody. So, thank you very much for spending some time with us today, listener, listeners. <laughs> Actually, <yeah. laughs> at this point, our podcast has gone on so long that maybe there is only one. <laughs> um, you know, this is going to be with us for a while and... Uh, we have to go. Otherwise, we'll just be here all night talking. <laughs> so, this episode was for you, Leonard. Thank you. And listeners, um, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. And our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. Uh, you can find episode archives, all the old episodes, on our Podbean page, which uh, the link is listed should be in the show notes for this episode as well as on the iTunes About page. I mention that because I know iTunes has like a 100-episode limit. So now that we're over 100 episodes, all the older episodes are getting dropped off. But you can, you know, you can check everything out on the Podbean page go all the way back. Um, you can also send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Um, if, if you wanted to say anything about Leonard Nimoy, um, you know, send it in. Uh, we're ha- we'll be happy to to read that at the end of our next episode. Um, so again, thanks for listening, and um, we will be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See you.
Stefan, I passed it.